Welcome to Conversations from Here with me, Dana Ziegler. These candid, unfettered, and unedited talks create connection and inspiration across the human story. These are the sharings of how we came to be ourselves, how we found our life's purpose, and how we made it from there to here. I speak with performers, artists, artisans, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, and other remarkable people about what they do and how they came to do it. Also, the music you hear on this show is performed, as always, by Brad Watson. Today I speak with the fierce and fabulous Kiki Young, Hong Kong-born, Seattle-raised, writer, comic, actress, producer, and creator of the comedy store's Crazy Woke Asians, and the upcoming series, Sweet and Sour Chicks. We talk about adjusting to life in the United States after moving from Hong Kong, being a child of divorce, her background in music, regaining health after illness, discovering theater and performance, finding her creative voice, shattering stereotypes as an Asian-American woman, and creating collaborative opportunities that support diversity for all. Inspiring stuff. Enjoy. Here's me and Kiki. Hello, my dear Kiki Young, my dear friend. It's so good to see you, I gotta tell you. Yeah, it's so good to see you too. And, and, um, and, and I, I wanted to bring you on because you were always one of my favorite uh, people to see at the Clown House. Oh, yeah. And Because uh, that's where we met, doing, yes. doing some stand-up. And um, I, I remember that you had a, um, you had a burn on your leg from, a, from a, an exhaust pipe from a motorbike. Oh, yes. Yeah. So terrible. <laughs> it's still, it's getting better, finally, after, what, three years? It's crazy. Like, uh, it wouldn't heal. It was like, it's like rash and it's just, I don't even want to go into it. It's disgusting, but it, it was so painful. I don't know what happened. I think maybe the stress of being a mother, you know, of a three, four year old, you know, it, I just didn't get enough sleep. So I, my body couldn't heal it or something. I don't know. You were, you were distracted. You were distracted. But um, I wanted to start off with, um, so usually in these talks, we, we start at the beginning and, and um, I know that you were born in Hong Kong. Yes. And then, um, so tell me a little bit about that and about when you, when you came to the States when you were 12. Yeah, in Hong Kong, um, so I was born there. I grew up, my dad, he was very musical. Um, he played the piano, drums, and, you know, he self-taught guitar, singing. And so I, I came from, from a very musical family and I played the piano, the classical. Um, they wanted me to be a classical pianist. <laughs> But um, I had other plans for myself. And, you know, we were ruled by the British. So growing up, I spoke English with a funny British Chinese accent. And because of 1997, the China takeover, you know, actually, you know, it was the British that took over and they were giving it back to China yep. after 100 years. So my, my parents were very nervous about the takeover because of the Tin, Tiananmen Square, you know, back, you know, yeah. where they rolled over the students. So I mean, most of the Hong Kong people, they were planning to immigrate to America or New Zealand or Singapore or um, where, Canada. So my, my, um, my, my aunt, 
um, which is my, my dad's third sister, older sister lived in Seattle. So she, um, I guess, you know, applied for us to move to America, to Seattle. And it was like, you know, now or never, we got to do it now. And I, I remember I was 12 and I was like, school is so hard. I went to a convent school, a Catholic school, all girls where you really see the nuns, they're like hanging out in their dungeon. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, teachers were intense. They get mad, they throw books across the, the classroom. I mean, I learned like 15 subjects. I mean, it, it was intense. And I was like, great America, you know, there's Madonna, there's Michael Jackson, George Michael, you know, this sounds fun. And you know, like school sounds easier in America too, compared to what I was going through. So I was like, yeah, let's go. And so we immigrated um, to Seattle and then we moved to a town called Bothell. It's like the boonies, mm -hmm. it's grass. It's, it's, north. it's a bit north of Seattle, I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with it, yeah. Have you been there? I haven't been there, but my, my brother and his family live in Bellevue and my mom oh, lives in nice. Bellevue, so in Bothell is, Oh yeah, my dad lived in uh, my dad lived in Bellevue too. So after after we moved there, lots a lot of things happened, and then my dad finally he moved to Bellevue by himself. My parents had a divorce. Um, both my parents had cancer, uh, which is very interesting. You know, usually it's one or the other, but they both had cancer. Wow. So, yeah, um, Seattle was not the the happiest place on earth for me. <laughs> But did they did they come out of it okay? Yeah, my my dad had nasal cancer and it was like stage four and he was supposed to go blind and deaf. So he's a little bit deaf, like on the he was on the right side of his ear, but he had had to hold like a cup and you know drain his nose like every three hours. It was it was really horrible and you know he he became a different person and and um and then he passed away because of an aneurysm and mm -hmm. while I was five months pregnant. It was very, Oh wow. It was just horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. And, and I didn't about, get to say bye. And, and then what about your mom? My mom, she recovered. She became like an organic natural healer, like a new age. Like she does coffee animas. She does the Gershon therapy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know about that. Um, the Gershon therapy, it's mm -hmm. like detoxing, cleansing, you know, her, she had stage three or four breast cancer and she was supposed to get double mastectomy. And she's like, no, I'm not getting cut off my breasts. Okay. I don't, I don't want to feel like a man. Okay. No way. You know, she's very like set on, you know what? I'm going to leave my marriage and go do my own thing. And she, she healed herself pretty much. And um, yeah. And then she started helping other people and she took courses and she became Reiki and transformational um, breathing certified and um, and then she went to college she studied I forgot what she was gonna be a, a naturopath but it took too long so she mm -hmm. she graduated with honors a bachelor degree at like 50 something wow yeah so I was like good for you mom and now she's in Hawaii um, building her garden with her new husband <laughs> yeah do you, do you think um, do you think that she would have done had the same opportunity if she were still in Hong Kong and of course after the Chinese takeover um, uh, or was this like kind of a gift to have come to America at that particular time I think I think she probably her mind would be different if she lived in Hong Kong like I did I was brought up so differently you know like the way I thought and you know hanging out with parents 
were normal, you know. In America, when I went to high school, it's like, oh, hang out with your parents. What's wrong with you? You know, like have your own friends. It's, that's not cool, you know. And so my, I think my mom would have been very different. I think if she would have gotten the cancer, she would have just, you know, do the chemo radiation even because my dad wanted her to do that too, mm -hmm. to go the safe route. And being in America because of, you know, the way my dad and her dynamics were, they, they, they decide to separate, you know, it was like a breaking point. She's like, if I don't leave, I'm going to die. So she mm -hmm. had to go. You know, but I understand my dad, he had a lot of issues growing up. No, no, no father, really no mom. Her, his mom died when he was really young. So he took care of himself being a musician. He took care of himself and went to business school at night. So I knew he had a lot of problems with his dad who was very overbearing and just like kind of abandoned him. So mm -hmm. he couldn't really emotionally be there for us the way that, you know, and with my mom too. So it was like a very, in a way, sexist dynamic. And she was supposed to be this wife taking care of the kids. But after she became sick, she was like, I've had this, you know, like, I don't want to die. And she has, has the gift, you know, being living in America, like, I can actually go get my degree. I can go and take care of myself. I can go bye-bye, everybody. And she moved to San Diego. And I remember driving with her. Like, you know, Seattle to San Diego, I was like leaving my, my daughter at college or something like I moved the stuff up with her. She, she went to this, uh, this health institute called uh, Optimum Health Institute in Lemon Grove. It's where a lot of people do the detox and the cleansing and colonics and all those things she learned. And it, it really helped her. I think in Hong Kong, she wouldn't have had the opportunity. She would probably have to like research and come to America or Canada or somewhere yeah. to get like this new age health therapy yeah and and how is it for you i mean just like you you had your scary nuns in in hong kong and then to come to the come to to seattle and have this experience of being being an american kid what what, what was that like it was really hard at first i really like i was just a happy hyper kid like i i was like happy i you know i thought very innocently like i'm even i was 12 years old i i was just with my parents all the time you know i swam i was in the swim swim team i played piano i sang and i was just really jam-packed with activities even after school so my mind was just there's nothing about popularity and being in school and knowing the cool kids and knowing all the words you know the slang so when i moved and and the kids they you know i mean they were a little bit cruel sometimes they make fun of my my accent why where do you get this british accent and i was so afraid to speak in front of the class like every word i had to do i would i would have to <laughs> think about it in my brain what i'm gonna say and then i'll be too scared to even say it and every time i'm like thinking please don't ask me to read i don't want to read in front of the class because after i read everybody just look at me like what like you know and i don't know if it was they were being mean or they were just like surprised like how did that come out of your mouth like your accent and the way you spoke you know because i was speaking with a british chinese accent and i i i i took so much effort like to to get rid of it <laughs> but now i'm like i do acting i do stand up like i'm like i'm wishing that i didn't you know i can go back into the british accent but yeah i wish i didn't but it was really tough and I became really depressed and really introverted because I used to be very, you know, extroverted and 
people be like, why are you so hyper? You're so weird. You're so strange. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I didn't even know what hyper or weird meant, but slowly, but surely I just became more, you know, introverted. And then my parents didn't really talk to me about being in school. They just thought, oh, you just go to school. Cool. It's a great school. It's a good district. So good. But that's when I learned like people are making out in the hallways, smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, skipping school is cool. You know, you have to be a jog or a cheerleader to, to, you know, be cool or, you know, to, to be recognized or accepted, accepted. I think it, it was really for me for 12 year old to just feel accepted, feel normal. Not like I'm not an American or foreign or whatever. Well, and I find it really ironic that you, as a person who, when you first came to this country and you didn't want to speak in front of people and that you were really self-conscious about it, and, and then you, <laughs> this is a kind of an unusual background for someone who went into stand-up and acting and, and all of the performance, um, you know, areas that you have been in and also, you know, music as well. Yeah. Um, you were you were defining yourself and on your own terms maybe yeah because before in hong kong i performed i was in solo competitions piano competitions so i was always performing i loved to act and i was doing like you know kids program on tv and stuff so but then when i came here the language barrier i just felt so stuck and stifled like i couldn't speak and then i developed this thyroid condition which i really believed it was mind body connection emotional mm connection and then when i was 15 my parents took me to disneyland for the first time i think in in la and uh we i took the splash mountain i came down my whole face was just pale white and then and then like two weeks later my face turned orange and then i went into the fred hutchinson's cancer center and they were wheeling me in with oxygen and they thought i had ulcer or blood cancer or something and it was it was so shocking. I, I was so completely out of control. Like, I didn't know what's going on. And my mom always attributed it to, oh, because you went on the Splash Mountain. You got scared. Oh. Like, like the Chinese thing, like, which is like, oh, you were so scared. Like, your whole soul jumped out of you. And then, like, you got sick. Wow. And for the longest time, I was like, no, mom. It's because I'm depressed and I'm alone and I feel lonely. I feel really sad. I don't know why I'm you know, what I'm doing in school or in America, I don't have really any friends that I could really talk to. I just felt, and I think for me, that was the reason, but she kept saying it's the Splash Mountain for like- Disney's fault. <laughs> yes, she told everyone that. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's not, whatever. Okay, Splash, sure, if you think, yeah. And I actually, I wrote and performed a one woman show called Second Chances for like, seven years it's it's all about from me being in hong kong to moving here to all that stuff and to becoming an, an actress and comedian so it's kind of it's funny how that kind of helped me process all that stuff too and uh now my mom she still tells me all the time you have to do coffee enema colonics or whatever because you took steroids when you were 12 and you your steroids are so bad for you you know she's like that's why you didn't grow taller so then, so after you were in the hospital and they figured out finally what was going on, which was yeah. some kind of thyroid thing. Yeah, and autoimmune disease, yeah. thyroid. I had hypothyroid and I also had hemolytic anemia, which mm -hmm. was like my antibodies was killing all my red blood cells. It was killing them rapidly. Like every time they give me a blood transfusion, like the next day, like 
Okay, normal female, they should have 35, 33%, 35% of blood. I had 11%. Oh, geez. So, yes, yeah, so I was dying. So every time, and then I went in some kind of coma. I don't know. They said I, I was like shaking and just like didn't, couldn't talk. One morning I woke up and I, I was trying to talk to my dad. I couldn't, couldn't talk. Like my brain was shutting down. I don't know. It was, it was very strange. And then they brought in my, my cousin who was a pastor and they prayed over me and the next day everything was normal again. So my parents became like hardcore, like more, not hardcore, but like we started going to church a lot more. Right. And right. Because they're thinking, oh, that's the reason you got better. Yes. Right. Yes. They think that. And, and I was fighting it for years. And then um, I think like a decade later, I, I, I became a Christian too. Like, like my choice, you know, I developed a personal relationship where I, I learned about the Bible and I, I, I learned how to heal myself from the thyroid and all that. Cause for a long time I had to take the, the hormones and mm, yeah. I was, was tired or, you know, um, yeah. And then I developed a binge eating disorder cause my mom was like, you're getting fat now. Like you need to start cause of all the hormones, the thyroid and the steroids. I was puffy. It wasn't fat. I was just bloated and puffy and tired. Give you the moon face. Just yes. Yeah. And it and also makes you really, really hungry. And then you eat it. You know, oh yeah. Fluid buildup. Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh crap. My mom said I'm fat now. I, I, you know, my life, I, I just became obsessed instead of trying to heal that wound of feeling abandoned or feeling, you know, alone. I started just like obsessing about my weight and food. And, and that went on for like seven and two, 10 years. I don't know, long time. And then, yeah. you know, started smoking cigarettes and, you know, that to, to, you know, suppress the, the appetite, just all kinds of things that, you know, girls go through teenage yeah. girls, you know? And, and so when, when, when was the moment when you recognized that and then things started to change? Um, I think I was recognizing, but I couldn't, I couldn't really, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Like my mind was so brainwashed by everything that my parents taught me, like what I think I need to be, what I need to do, you know? And then, um, I, I met my ex-husband actually, um, during college i think i went back to hong kong after i graduated from uh uh when was that so i moved away to san diego with my current husband now but we you know he, he he was my brother's best friend and so we met in san diego so i think i was 19 i was like i've had this if because my mom's like you can't do anything you're gonna get sick and die everything is you're gonna get sick and die like if this comes back before you're 21, you're gonna have to take hormones the rest of your life. You're gonna get sick and you're gonna die. Your blood's gonna come, you know, popping, you know, like just the, it's gonna explode and you're gonna die. You're gonna, you know. So that was my mind all the time. I'm gonna die anyways. I can't, I can't do what I like acting, singing, do what you know. They're like you can't be in that business. It's too, you know, hard. And also you're Asian and you're a woman and also you're sick and you can't stay up late because that's what happens you're on set and because my, my dad used to be involved in the entertainment business so he was very and then you're also a hooker you know because that's what they, they do actress prostitutes themselves you know right. so i'm like oh great i should just kill myself like thanks, slow thanks mom and dad <laughs> exactly slowly kill yourself why don't you well you know you not can't do anything anyway so I met my brother's best friend, which became my, my boy. It took a while and they hated him. They're like, he's trash, you know, just oh. he's trash. Don't. So I, I, 
I, I kind of ran away from home with him, but I was 19. So in American, um, you know, way, it's not really running away, but for Chinese, it's like, you know, you're still in school. You, it was pretty much, I just took off. I love that. I love that he was your brother's best friend. So this was somebody who was not just some rando guy. This was a guy who was, you know, clearly your brother loved him and trusted him and all that. So, you know, you, you already knew that he was a good person when you met him. Yeah. And, and my brother too, he ran away when he was, I don't know, my old, this is my older brother. He ran away when he was 17 too to San Diego because he couldn't stand my parents. So he ran away. And that's where he met my, you know, uh, Chuck, you know, and, and his best friend, they became best friends. And then we visited them in San Diego for the first time. I was like, sun and beach, this is great. Cause Seattle is so cold and rainy and yeah. I was, I couldn't handle it. And, and then, um, he sang, you know, like he, he sang, he was, he was a singer and I was really mesmerized by his voice. And, and then we just somehow connected and he wrote me love letters for a year. Wow. I know, so romantic. It's old school. Old exactly. School. That was the nineties. And then and then before he came visit me with his with my brother. And then after and then we just took off when he visited. I'm like, I, I, I think I'm gonna die too if I live here. Like, you know, like because my thyroid was still and then once I moved away, I, I started speaking up more. I was just I don't know, I was just trying to recalibrate my body and then I, I didn't need to take the hormones anymore. And uh and then eventually I went get a checkup and my THS levels, they mm -hmm. were normal. So I didn't, I healed myself in a way. Yeah. You know what's really interesting is that the thyroid, of course, is in the throat, which mm -hmm. is where the throat chakra is, which yep. represents communication and expression. Yeah. And yeah. it's like when you, when you found your voice, when you literally found your voice, your illness. Yeah. Yeah. And I really wow. think, I really believe in that mind body connection and the, yeah, and I I think that's that's very a lot of people think oh I'm I'm sick I'm just gonna take a pill and you know suppress the symptoms but what is the root? I really exactly I think about anything I have like if I'm feeling bloated or I feel like anxious I want to start binge eating or anything I just think okay what is really underneath that that I'm not dealing with? Sometimes it's hard you can't deal with it right away especially now that I have a kid. Mm -hmm. and, all my attention is to him, but, but like, I need to, even if I, after he sleeps at midnight, I have to cry it out or do some breathing, you know, or else, or else it's going to go down. Okay. Everything's right. going to go bad. Yeah. So you have to let, you have to allow the things to flow, let them flow out at the appropriate time. Like you said, yes. and then yes. you can, you can balance yourself and do what you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, I think when I was younger, all in my 20s, it was just like try to suppress and fight and, and judge. Like, this is bad emotion. This is, this is good. And I really, I, I, I used to read this uh, book by Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life. And actually, my mom bought that for me when I went to the Optimum Health Institute. And she got me to do that program for five days. It was like watermelon juice fast with colonics. It was intense. But after all that, like the, that book really stayed with me. And yeah. I would read like if you have a cold, a flu, like if you have blood problems, skin problems, maybe it's all. And she breaks it down and relates to the mind. And then I would do these affirmations. But I did that for a long time. I didn't really, really quite get it. But I feel like in my 30s, 
late 30s, I feel like I started to really get it. Like, I, I, it just kind of, it took a while to digest, you know? Because mm -hmm. you learn all these things from your parents when you're young. Sure. When you're young, you don't even remember till you're like, I don't know, 18. And then you're like, wow, I don't believe everything they say anymore. And I, it's not helping or working for me. Your, your parents are human. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, your authority figures are not always right. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, my mom was like God and my dad was like, the other god and i was so fearful of them and then now i i love them i respect them and being a mom i understand where they came from and, and they they try their best and uh, you know i just send them good energy and like make peace with it you know because i i think they were abandoned and they couldn't speak up for themselves and so that's all they can do and you know back then when when they were growing up in the 50s 60s 70s you know it, it was so different women didn't have all those rights you know that's right and, and, and Oh, no, I was going to say that um, they they were doing the best they could with what they knew. And yeah. because their parents taught them in a particular way, and that was their model, and they didn't have another one. And so, and I think that's why it's so really, it's really important to, you know, when you, if you look back and you think, ah, oh, my, I wish my dad were not like this, or my mom, or whatever. But then when you're able to just say, they were doing the best they could, that's all they knew. You know, it, it allows you to, to forgive and yeah. No. Have Easy. a good relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's still hard for me to talk to my mom sometimes just because I don't know, maybe we're alike too. I don't know. Maybe that's it. No, that's an interesting thing. Whenever there's tension, you know, with a parent, a lot of times, I think it's almost more challenging the relationship between the mother and the daughter and the father and the son and that the father daughter relationship is easier. Like the mother son relationship is easier. And like the, the opposite sex parent, is is kind of easier to get along with in a way because your mom you know there's probably a lot of similarity that you know you may or may not really want to admit to you're like oh god i sound just like my mother yes i do <laughs> and it's like they're mirror like we're mirroring each other like i remember when i had my divorce from my ex-husband like she I would cry and she'd be like, you're crying, you're getting get wrinkles, you're gonna get sick, you're gonna look ugly. And I'm like, geez, did you not cry during your divorce from my dad? Like, I'm like, why can't I cry? Geez, yeah. like what? Like, I think it just triggered her emotions for, she couldn't, she couldn't face it. But of course I haven't even discussed that with her, but that really drove a wedge be between us. Cause I feel like you're abandoning me again. Like I can't even cry in front of you. Like without you telling me I'm going to get sick and I'm going to get wrinkles. Like, I don't care about that right now, mom. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to be vulnerable with your mom. You just want to be able to share that and, and not yeah. be judged for it or. Yeah, that's it. I think I feel like I'm judged by her constantly and I'm so exhausted, you know? And, uh, you know, but I, I just send her good energy. She 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 tries to get me to do that coffee enema all the time because she she really wants me to be healthy. But I am healthy. That's the thing. I in my mind, I'm like I'm healthy. I'm healthy, and I you know the affirmations that I say you know, and I used to re read all the scriptures like you're healthy. You it's 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 in inherited. You know, you don't have to you don't have to fight for it or deserve it. You, you are healthy. Right. Right. Like. Like for a while, I think I, my mind became like, I'm not healthy. I, something is wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I need to fix. Right. Like, right. And versus now I'm like, I'm whole, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm complete. Like I'm fine.
life is great. And then the joy comes in, the gratitude, and then you attract better things like from the universe too, right? And you attract Absolutely. better scenarios. And I really believe that. And my mom, she believes that. But somehow with me is, I don't know, I think she believes it, but maybe it's just lost in translation when we talk. Either that or maybe it's just she's used to the old patterns, the old dynamics, and she hasn't mm-hmm. quite figured out how mm-hmm. to how to recalibrate that, maybe. Mm-hmm. I but think that is it. You're so right on, Dana. I think that is it. She doesn't, because she helps a lot of other people heal their bodies, like, yeah. you know, have uh, diabetes or pancreatic problem or whatever. She helps a lot of people, but somehow with me, we just cannot, I don't know. I can't really irritate it. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe what'll happen is that, you know, as the years go by, there'll be a point at which you can make that, bridge that gap, you know? I, I do believe that. I, I really think it's, it's never too late, you know? I mean, even if it's at the very end, you know, um, and uh, that, that, will, that that will happen at some point. Because there's certainly the desire to, to heal that and to and make that connection. So yeah. maybe she'll, you know, be more open Right. But did you did you continue with your music um, like into your teenage years and in your college years or did you go did you head into theater? Um, I head into theater. I was so after that like okay so my mom always tell me too that I, my voice is too breathy. I need to breathe from my diaphragm. So my, I became really self. My brother started saying that to me too because he's a singer too and. Uh, mm-hmm. I got really conscious about like, oh, my breath is so breathy. But but really now, I and then I, I started going in theater because I want to do films and, and TV acting. And then at the UW in Seattle, they didn't have a film major. So there was theater and I didn't even know what a monologue was. But, but then I somehow, they didn't need you to audition to do the drama major. So I was like, okay, great. So I took a bunch of, you know, Shakespeare, like theater classes and I just started, I was majoring in philosophy because I was trying to find the answer for life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I was very good at it when we were debate and like write critical essays. But then I, I was reading all these philosophers. I'm like, these are all a lot of old white guys talking about how life is. All <laughs> and these old like, Greek guys. Yes, <laughs> Greek guys. And I was like, huh, okay, maybe no. Because in community college, you can just, kind of do more critical thinking but once you're at the the university level they really want you to just read and kind of break down the greek uh, you know philosophy and i was like this is boring so i started doing theater and i decided to switch and i majored in theater and and there was like only me and maybe two other asians in there that was majoring theater Mm -hmm. and um it was hard like there were not that many roles oh hi kitty there was there were not that many roles and you know i feel like it was it was really hard to break out of that click you know like they have their clicks where they cast each other and they produce mm-hmm. stuff and, but i learned a lot from that uh from uw i learned how to crew and do lighting sound like costume like everything like production and from from then on i just started producing my own stuff and I wrote like sketch comedy. I worked with this sketch comedy group called Porkfield Players. Um, they were Asian Americans and it was pretty fun. And then I started doing a lot of community theater and then I got an agent and I started auditioning and I did a lot of Microsoft, like Amazon, like, you know, like the office, Asian office lady yeah. or like, you know, the Chinese mom, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, um, 
yeah, and then I did that. It was really fun. And then I got into a theater program in Seattle at this place called Freehold Studio. And and it's they had a lot of teachers from Cornish, which is like the top mm-hmm. theater art school in Seattle. So I had a scholarship and I couldn't believe it. Like I never get anything, win anything. So like uh, I was so excited to do that. It was like an intensive Shakespeare, like one year. And I'm, I worked on my speech a lot, you know, um, and just just did like the whole year was just so intense and it was acting and doing a lot of that and then I took a solo performance class and then I realized well this is kind of fun then I don't have to you know have five six seven eight actors I have to deal with you know schedules and all that and I could just perform and work with the director so that's when I started writing about my life from you know because usually you do the one person show is usually you know autobiographical or you know some observations or something like so I I started writing about my life in Hong Kong being an immigrant and then becoming you know getting sick and then and then and then I started doing that and I moved to San Diego eventually um, and then I started doing the show at museums and like cultural festivals and stuff and and um, and yeah it, it was it was fun and then people would ask me hey do you do stand-up you should do stand-up and I was like, huh, do stand I mean, I always loved stand-up, you know, I like Dave Chappelle and yeah. it's rock and, uh, you know, I, I loved Whoopi Goldberg and like, I was like, you know, Rosie O'Donnell and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm funny, like, but I mean, I'm naturally funny the way I am, but I was like crafting jokes as a whole and then also, you know, uh, it was just like, I had a college girlfriend that was doing stand-up, I was like, that's so cool, you can do it and I would... I went to New York and I watched stand up with her and I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I never thought like, yeah, right. I, no, like, you know, and, and then people would keep, kept telling me, even my agent's husband was like, saw my one woman show in San Diego. And he was like, you, you, you think about doing stand up?" And so after I gave birth to my son, I was, I was needing a new challenge because I was bored. <laughs> I just couldn't be, uh, you know, just doing a mom, just be a mom. Like I wanted to keep, keep, you know, exploring and expanding, you know, what I can do. So I was like, yeah, maybe do try it, do take a stand-up class. So I took a stand-up class and I remember we were living in West Covina and I had to drive like two hours in traffic to go Sherman Oaks. Oh, wow. Get there. And I paid like $400, $500. And that was money from a gig that I, I did from an acting job. You know, and my husband's like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, he wasn't for it. He wasn't against it. So I was like, I'll pay for it with my own money. You know, I'm going to try to do something for me. So I, I did that. It was it was nice. And I, I learned, you know, like, oh, this is how you build a joke, you know, and, and it wasn't so hard. And because, you know, I, I had to produce and write my own stuff even when I started in Seattle. So I always had this thought, like, if I put my mind to it, I can learn. I, I, you know, self-taught and I can make it happen. So I just started doing that. And then I was noticing, you know, I was always only the one Asian in the class. I think my, that first stand-up class, I was the only Asian too. Yeah. And, and even in theater school, I think I was the only Asian. Well, there was one mix, but yeah, pretty much I was the only, yeah. Yeah. And like the immigrant, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. And, uh, so I always felt like, oh, there must be more Asians that are just like 
you know, fun and loud and, you know, crazy, you know, cause in Seattle, they're all engineers and programmers. They're always like, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, don't ask me. Don't ask me. <laughs> don't ask me these stupid questions. Like don't, don't bother. Like I always felt like an outsider, you know? And I'm like, there must be some cool Asians that are funny and loud and, and, and doesn't have, you know, nothing wrong with being a programmer. You make lots of money, but it's just like the different thinking, you know, like arts versus more, you know? Yeah. And so, so in LA, I started meeting more and more. And then I was like, this is, this is cool. And, and then I was like, I should just put a show together, you know, with, for all the Asians that I see that they're just like, uh, they've never performed with each other. A lot of them have, have never been on a show with someone that they looked up to, you know, like another Asian comedian. So I started doing that and then the Asians started coming out and I was like so surprised. Crazy <laughs> I, Woke Asians was born. Yes. And, and the woke part, like now people talk about it like woke is, you know, I was just watching Get Out all the time, that movie. And I was listening to that song by Childish Gambino, you know, stay woke. And I was like, oh, I like the song. And I'm, I was thinking in, a, in my perspective was like, I'm awake, you know, like I, I, I'm because I'm not very political, you know, like, I, I feel like I'm just awake. I'm aware, you know, they were, they were casting Scarlett Johansson in the, those, that movie, that one movie where she played a Japanese. Oh, yes. Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, just, there's so much, you know, whitewashing with the, you know, the Asian roles. And, and that's been since, you know, that, that guy from Breakfast at T Tiffany, you know, even, he had to right. be like, Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey Rooney. You look at it now and you, and you go, Oh my God. Before it's like, Oh my God, that Asian guy with the chinky eyes. So funny. And now people cringe. Like, I feel like, you know, this is a whole new era. I feel like the millennials are really just, you know, taking charge of like breaking down the system. I, and I applaud them. And I think it's great for my son in the future. I feel like if he wanted to go into the arts, he can. And I will help him. But when I started, it was like, you know, nails and just crawling. And my parents were like, now you're going to be a hooker. Okay, you're sick. And then you're going to cast you. It's like when Selma Hayek, you know, came to Hollywood and they said, you know, you're, you're, you don't stand a chance because every time you open your mouth, people are going to think you sound like they're made and you're never going to amount to anything. And because she had started with telenovelas and all that mm -hmm. stuff. And then, but like, look at her now. And she just said, yes. look, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to do it my way. Yes. And her self-belief, you know, and, and she's just producing and doing all kinds of things. I mean, my dad, I remember I told him I want to go back to Hong Kong and he'd be like, how old are you now? 25? You know, you're too old. You know, people just want like 17, 18, you know, you're going to be very disappointed if you go back to Hong Kong. And then he's like, but if you stay in America, nobody wants to see a Chinese girl act in America. Okay. This is what he told me. And I put that in my one woman show. And, and I look back at it and I'm like, that, that kind of gave me some, some oomph to like, you know what, I'm gonna prove you wrong. Exactly. Um, but, but you know, now there's, there's more, but there's still, it's lacking. So that's why I created my own comedy series called Sweet and Sour Chicks. Mm -hmm. And actually my friend, like of 15 years, he's, he's white and, and but he's an amazing, very creative creator. And I was like, how, what name should I come up with? What's the name? He's like, Sweet and Sour. And I'm like, Oh, I like sweet and sour. It's kind of catchy, kind of American, but it's also like life. It's sweet and sour, right? So it, I, I came up with the name and we just finished production. Actually, we, 
we're submitting to film festivals now and looking for distribution and and I, I'm you know I I was directing the plays in Seattle here and there but you know and I just kind of like started doing the pilot I funded the, the pilot and then I raised funds from the seed and spark for the season one and somehow one of the producers he found me and then he green green lighted the project and and I, I every step along the way I was like if this is meant to be God uh, it will happen so I was just it really taught me how to surrender like if it's not then okay whatever but so far it's been working out and you know for for me to write and direct and be in it and cast all the people and it was it was so hard and looking back I can't even believe I did all that and and now it's it's finished and and you know I I don't know if you saw the the trailer but I did yes and I, I learned how to faces in there huh some familiar faces in there oh yeah Jimmy yeah. Shan and Aaron <laughs> yes oh yeah they're great in it I mean I yeah we tell you I, I can't wait to share like the full episodes um, but just a journey of from from you know thinking oh nobody wants to see a Chinese girl act in America to me just getting funding to produce my own you know own show that's that's not like I, I mean I scroll through all the networks and all that I don't really see anything like about a, a single mom about Asian Americans in their 30s you know like like living lives like being creative or artistic you know I see I mean I I, I really like the that show fresh off the boat right because it yeah. was in the 90s but I mean it was more like family like the family all the kids you know I have yeah. I haven't really seen a, a show where it's about just us being us like American like you know but adults with like problems with relationships right mm -hmm. like yeah uh, except for crazy rich Asians which you know was a movie have you seen yeah. that did you see I haven't it? seen it yet I haven't I gotta put it on my list uh -huh. huge 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 yes it's revolutionary yeah. yeah it was revolutionary because you see the asian americans being attractive and being leading ladies and leading men that was huge for me mm -hmm. i think and I it think wasn't about like like the joy luck club was all about tradition and family and, yeah. this, and the other yeah. thing. this is like this is about modern life yes and just yeah being crazy and rich yeah although i do really love the joy luck club too yeah it's like wow these girls are asian and they're they're like americans that were, and it took how long i don't know 25 years a long time yeah i remember seeing the joy luck club in the theater and i remember oh. thinking wow this is so cool because we would not you know like regular mainstream americans would not be seeing this not have a window onto onto this culture onto yeah. specifically chinese culture and it was really fascinating i loved it yeah yeah and it, it took so long because i guess the, the hollywood said nobody wants to watch asian people on, as leads <laughs> which is which is crazy but then i tell you the asians are very critical too okay it's like it's like they're critical too <laughs> so it's like to get them to support is not easy but now mm. they're being more vocal and they're supporting and it's it's great you know i feel like the tide is turning and is there was there um like you were saying about the the view that your parents had like oh if you go and try to be an actress it like you're just going to be a hooker or something like that is there is there is there is, has there been a shift in terms of how people 
and especially Asian parents, you know, view going into the arts. Uh, the, you know, beside like not being a concert pianist, <laughs> but being an actress or being a stand-up, is it is it changing now? I feel like there is. You know, there are other comedians that I see that are Asians that their their parents are being supportive. They're because they're booking shows on network TV. They're making it. You know, and I think I think it's slowly changing, but they're still skeptical. Like, mm. you know, un until you book that, you better have a plan B. Right. But the problem is you cannot have a plan B. You just have to do it and go you for it and commit. Because yeah. when you have a plan B, you're expecting to fail. You might as well just forget it. That's right. That's right. I think of Ali Wong um, mm -hmm. as somebody who has done it and is doing it. And, yes. um, you know, hugely inspiring. Yeah, and I don't think she had a plan B. Mm -mm. I don't think so. I mean, she was touring. She was, you know, traveling, doing all that for 10, 20 years, I think, before she even, you know, now that it's not overnight. And right. Yeah, when yeah. people say, oh, you know, somebody's just come out of the woodwork. No, actually, they've been in the woodwork for many, many, many years. And they've been doing it. It's just that maybe they weren't as visible as they are now, you know. And so, I, yeah. I also think it's like timing and luck has to do with it. Cause I, there's so many talented people. Oh. I mean, talented, I know so many talented people, but you know, do they get in front of millions of people for a project or get to, you know, do a real tour? Maybe not. So I feel like, yeah, you know, you, you, but if you love it and then you have to start being a creator. That's why I think it's so important. That's why I created my own show too. Like whatever happens to it, happens but at least let, if I died I feel like at least I made this and I'm proud of it because it's quality and I've been getting yeah. feedback from other comedians it's well made and that's what I wanted to you know not just think something I slapped together like haha I'm making a show right but actually put my heart and soul into it and made it a quality and I feel like I feel like if, if we don't try and we're just waiting because we're just the victim of oh there's not enough opportunity because I'm Asian, because I'm a woman, because I'm a mom, because I have right. no time. Right. Then, you know, and, and I tried to get a nine to five job. I tried. Mm -hmm. I actually submitted my resume. I used to do event planning, like I worked for a real estate company. I was a hostess at, at a restaurant, cashier. I would do like administrative work, accounting, <laughs> like whatever yeah. I had to do to keep doing my acting, you know. But, but when I moved here, they, they wouldn't take me. Because, you know, um, it's like I've had too many experience, so they cannot pay the certain way. And then it's like they Google you, they see you're a comedian, especially in L.A. or actress. They're like, you're not you're not going to try to stay and grow in this company. You're, yeah, you're, you're not going to want to be our office manager forever because clearly you have other things going on. Exactly. And so it's like that's your side. This is your side hustle. No, we want someone that will actually, you know, just wants to be an office manager or work in, you know you know be an office person so yeah so it didn't work out so i'm like okay god so i guess i can't find a nine to five job so i guess i gotta do something else so well, that's why that's why there can't be a plan b you just yeah. have to invest and and um i've always believed that once i had a very wise friend tell me once that when you have the what you know what it is that you want to do mm -hmm. even the, if you're not sure how you're going to do it it doesn't matter because if you're clear on the what, the how is going to figure itself out. And it always does. Yes. So many people get stuck in that, stuck in that mindset that if they don't know how to do it, that they can't do it. 
but it's actually not true. Mm -hmm. Yes, so, so many. many yes, yeah, so including my husband, like he—he's an amazing chef, and he, and, and he does—he's really good with handiwork. But I mean, he wants to because of the pandemic, like he wants to start his own thing. But he's always thinking about how to do it, and I'm like he's trying to share with him how. But then, like you said, it's—I'm going to tell him this tonight. It's not the how, it's what, it's why and what, what you're doing it for and why you want to do it, right? That's it. That's it. And you will find a way and he yeah. will find people who are doing what he wants to do and he can have them as mentors because that's yeah. important. Yeah. And you attract the people because I didn't know how I was going to fund this show and, and raise 20 grand and I, edit and all that. I, I didn't even know. I didn't, I have no idea. Like I didn't even think. It could happen and and a lot of my filmmaker friends is like it's actually that's that's not easy to get funded like they some of them hasn't gotten funded like you know everybody writes and so i feel like it's meant to be and i i agree with you because i'm pretty clear on what and why i'm doing this mm -hmm. that's why when things go bad and it gets hard uh, i don't stop because my what and my why is is so so burning so hard like i, <laughs> I wish i could do something else i can't yeah well and and um and like you were saying about choosing to take the initiative and do your own thing is is uh i always say it's not waiting to be picked yes you know? and i think we can't wait to be picked you know and and you know i was because i i studied acting back in my 20s and you know and i was and, and you know, and then, and then now I'm here, I'm, I'm a woman over 50 in Los Angeles and thinking, am I going to, am I going to do, you know, bit parts or background or whatever? And I'm like, I, I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want to sit around and wait for somebody to pick me. Yeah. I want to do my thing. Yes. And that's great. That's why you're doing the podcast and who knows what that'll lead. Like who knows? Exactly right. You know, <laughs> yeah. but there's a vision out there that's happening. And maybe it's just, your brain can't even fathom, but it's in your destiny, you know? I really yeah. believe that. And it's so true, and I applaud you for not, because, I mean, especially in Hollywood, and women too, we get so judgmental of ourselves and others, and we compare, and then we feel like, oh, especially the acting industry, it's like, you, you, you're better than me, or you're, it's like, we can be, I realized, like, you know, in my 30s, my 40s now, it's like, I can be happy for for other people, and just, just accept some people are stronger in certain parts. And I want to attract people who, who are stronger than me even, right? Yeah. To complement each other. And that's how you can work together and, and help elevate each other for a purpose, you know? And Absolutely. I feel, like, I feel like when you're in your 20s, you're just like, oh my God, I got I to gotta do this. I got to be this. I got to make this right. happen. I, Am I, gotta I good this. enough? Am oh my I pretty God. enough? Am I this oh, that? And just all this garbage. And then... There's yes. something about getting to be over 40 that's very liberating. Yeah. And, and this, this thing, I don't give a fuck. I'm yeah. going to do my thing. And if yep. nobody likes it, that's, that's fine. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm going to find my crowd. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. It's like, even when I was writing the sweet and sour chicks, I know I'm going to offend some people, like even Asians or women or whatever, but you know what? I like it. And I know where I'm coming from. 
Right. And I've been dreaming about this for 10 years since I started watching Sex in the City. Yep. So uh, I don't care. So, and it's good, like being a comedian or even being a podcast host, right? Like you don't want to be pleasing everybody. And that's what we were brought up, like women should please and yes. be nice and polite and comfortable and make everyone comfortable. It's like, yep. you, fuck that. No, I'm not going to make you comfortable. And if you're not comfortable around me, sorry, I'm just me, right? Like, yeah. like I've learned that, especially in my forties now, like, and I'm a mom, I'm so exhausted. Like, I just don't have the energy to come. You don't have time for small stuff. Yeah. I hate, small stuff. you know, I, I hate just talking about men every time we talk too. like, you know, like in your twenties, all about dating, like, Oh, does he like me? Which is fine. But it's like, for, for me now in my forties, like my conversation, my relationship with my friends, it's like we talk about stocks, we talk about like passive income, talking about creating stuff. We're talking about more than just relationships all the time, you know. It's grown up stuff. Because <laughs> it cannot, it gets so boring. It cannot always be just about the man, right? Like I feel like our our identity, like what I was brought up, like my mom too, you know, her identity was her family and, and my dad, and then really fucked her over. <laughs> Because it's like, what? And then she had cancer. She's like, am I going to stay in this marriage that's unhealthy and toxic? Or am I going to spread my wings and fly and, you know, and go do my own thing and find my identity? And she did that. So kind of gave me a permission to do it too. You know, her doing that, getting her degree in her 50s or whatever. I don't even know how old she is. She, she always looks pretty young to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it gave me permission. And I feel like the permission thing with women too. It's like, don't wait for someone to say, oh, that is good. Okay, Kiki, that's good. Yeah. You should it's good like, yeah. like, no, I don't care. That's why I started Crazy Woke Asians. I just thought the, the name sounded pretty cool and I'm, I'm a wick. And then I was like, okay. And I didn't ask for permission. And then people just like, oh, and I think when you just stop asking for permission, you inspire other people to just you know, not need to, I, cause I, I remember another comedian told me you inspired me to do my own thing that you don't need another person to help you cause you do just doing by yourself. You don't need permission. Yeah. And you don't need someone else to do it with you just because you're scared or you feel like you need someone to help you. Cause, cause I've started stuff in Seattle before San Diego, where I, I needed other people to do it together, which is yeah. nothing wrong with that. But right, some right. Collaboration. People, yeah, collaborate, but some people just, you don't you don't find the right collaboration then don't force it you know just try it on your own yeah and i think doing something on your own is okay you know but now i, I meet so many asian comedians and or just comedian like you in general and it's just so it, that's what's so hard about the quarantine like i can't i can't really go to the open mic or you know just to hear other people's jokes and socialize and just connect you know um, i mean the zoom is great but it's still it's yeah there's an energy that isn't there that, that when you have live people in a room there's an exchange that happens and a real yeah. you know, that you don't have on a screen and um and I, I was gonna say that i i found um you know it when i started doing stand-up and i did it for like about a year just about a year and a half and the reason i did it was because i wanted to see if i could and I also wanted to do my thing. I didn't want to do what somebody else thought I should be. And mm -hmm. then I could write because I've always been a writer. So I thought, 
what a great thing. You can combine these two things and, 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 and be in full expression. And it also, there's something, the idea of being in front of a mic alone mm -hmm. in front of an audience was the most terrifying thing. And at the same time, it like created this warm bubble that I felt really good in because it was like, I'm, this is my, this is my show. Yeah. This is my audience. And, and it was very empowering. And so even though I didn't continue to pursue stand-up, but it gave me that feeling and it sparked something inside me that then later um, inspired me to do this podcast. So I really think that it was leading up to this. Mm. And then the other irony was that I met my fiance at the comedy store in the back hallway. <laughs> so, so, so comedy led me there, led oh, me to wow. meet Brad. Wow. Yeah, and um, the piano player in the OR on wow. Sunday nights at the at the comedy store, Brad. Wow. Um, and and so, but but I was just following my nose, and I wasn't seeking anything. I wasn't yep. looking actively, yep. but I was just kind of open, you know. Yes. And that's what it was. And then to embrace, you know, to to embrace that of, of doing my own material was so great. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not saying that I wouldn't do it again. I mean, I'm sure that I will. I have to get point. you on the Crazy Morgation show. You could be a token white person. <laughs> I would love it. I'll be your token white person. <laughs> I'd love that. So be so much fun. Yeah, we might have something in November. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out. Yeah, in November, we'll be in Monica. So. But it would yeah. be so much fun. I mean, it's just like, and again, like you were saying about collaboration and finding people that you really connect with and really, you know, that you can play with. I mean, that's like, that's yeah. the joy. And, and that's the other thing. I have so many people that I met um, at the clown house, at the store, at, um, um, and flappers too, you know, mm -hmm. just, just to, um, just to connect with his people. You know, mm -hmm. I've got several, several people from our clown house group that I'm still, you know, friends with, still in touch with. And um, I, I, two of them are two of them were on this podcast. It was Emma Pine and Troy Dillinger. Oh, that's you know, awesome. so um, you know, it's nothing but inspiration. But what? So what are you? What are you work working on now? Aside from getting sweet and sour chicks to get picked up, but is uh, there something else that you're doing at the moment? I'm trying to get some uh, outside outdoor crazy location shows going. Mm -hmm. So we might have one for Halloween time, and then another another one in November. But, you know, we're testing it because, you know, and it's going to be very limited seating because we're social distancing and everything. Right. So, and I have to work on season two. I have to get like the, the Bible ready, like just to have the outlines of what's going on just in case, because the executive producers are shopping it around. So usually they want to, you know, look at like what, what else you got for the other seasons. So I think the main thing to get picked up is it's, there's potential mm -hmm. for it to show you know and and from the feedback i got definitely it's uh, i'm i'm happy like that people are feeling like oh this is a different way of seeing asian women and and, and different way of showing relationships like marriage and divorce and motherhood that they haven't seen so just just that i'm just i'm just grateful that i've, I've been getting good responses and then you know my son he's going to kindergarten and online and i don't know i'm thinking of pulling him out because it's a small little laptop and it's just not healthy for him. And now he's like, mommy, I don't think I'm good at school. And I'm like, oh my God, you're five. How could you say you're not good at school? That's really terrible. It's like, yeah. it, 
and he's in a Mandarin program because my husband and his mom wanted him to speak Mandarin. And I thought since before the COVID, we signed up for this program. I thought, oh, it should be fine because we're not Mandarin speakers. We're Cantonese speakers. Cantonese, so, yeah. So I thought it's fine. You guys, he's at school. He's bouncing off with the kids. But now it's online and the teacher just talks all day in Mandarin. And we don't speak it at home. It's just really hard. He's very behind. Like mm -hmm. the teacher's like, because he, he doesn't follow directions. I'm like, yeah, because he doesn't know what you're saying. Oh, so I've been really stressed out about like, if I pull him out, I got to put him in pre preschool again, like pre kindergarten. And mm -hmm. it's so much, so expensive to, you know, this is LA to put him in a good pre. So I, I've been trying, and then I've been trying to just recalibrate taking better care of myself. I started that comedy uh, comedians panel show which i want to invite you on we did the first one at the comedy store in the original room uh -huh. so i i'm i've started a patreon with the podcast so people can you know and i have a few subscribers now i just started last month to keep it going you know because we can't do the big shows anymore yeah what's it called it's called one? crazy woke asians uh comedians oh. okay. party panel yeah, but but I just started the Crazy Woke Asians. It's it's a podcast, so I I need to. So I did a comedian spotlight series like in May with, you know, Joe Wong and Esther Ku and George Wang and other comedians. So I just have so much backlog. Like I need to edit all that, upload on the. Yeah, I have to edit because it's also video too. We put it on our YouTube channel, so it's a lot of work. Like I have to put all that up there, and then, and then um. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to build that, you know, because everybody's trying to build the, I know a lot of the comedians, they're trying to build the, like, like you too, like you're doing the podcast, they're just trying to still keep creative and, and engaging an audience. So, and I've been wanting to do the podcast for a while, but I just didn't know about what I, I you know, like, yeah. So it's kind of like a comedy um, game kind of thing. Like, so when we did it at the original room, I had like spin the wheel and then we we talk about different memes and headline news, you know, and then they comment like all the anti-Asian sentiments going on right now, the racism and stuff with the voting. So we, we like laugh about it. And we, we have a, a round where you guess the Asian, like, like how old Lucy Liu is. She's like a hundred, but she looks like 30, you know, like, <laughs> and then we do, um, yeah, stuff like that. And then, so I'm, I'm working on building that to, 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 building the crazy vocation that game show because i feel like if i want to build it later to to put it on like a tv or some kind of online platform um it, it cannot just be showcasing like seven ten fifteen minutes of you know it right. i feel like it needs to be a revamp like like i love wild and out it's so funny like i don't think that's that's hard like they just rap battle each other that's it's hilarious but i i would love to have crazy vocations become kind of you know, like, like all the Asian American comedians that come through that we kind of help them, you know, get more exposure. That's, yeah. that's my goal to, to, to get more seen, like even the rising ones, like not established, you know, right. If, if they have a talent and just kind of nurture that and put it, put them on the shows. But now I'm opening up to, you know, I want not just Asians too, you know, white, black, you know, uh, Mexican, like, doesn't matter. Like, I feel like, I feel like eventually I just want to be more inclusive of, because in the beginning it was just like, have more, you know, I just wanted to group all the Asians because right. we're always the only Asian, right? But now I feel like we've been doing this for a while now, I've, what, two, three years now? So I feel like 
yeah, like my friends that I want to bring, they're not Asians, you know, like you, like other friends, like I have to have them on the show. So, yeah. And then with the comedians panel, I think that really, that really allows me to just bring other people too, mm -hmm. not Asians on it. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way to just, just get to know the comedians. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where, where do you see um, Sweet and Sour Chicks? Um, where, where would be kind of your ideal place to see that? Would that be on HBO? I would, HBO. Like to, <laughs> I would like to, it to be on HBO and that's been my goal forever. Like I really see that to be, that's, that's my dream. I'm just putting it out there in the universe. Um, but or but Netflix. Um, Netflix could be. Yeah, Netflix would be fun. I like, I like Hulu too. Hulu has some pretty good um, series right now. Yeah. Um, uh, and Creepy, they had some good short platform ones, like short um, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Creepy? They have. I haven't, but I've heard of it and I wondered what it was. Oh, they had the free trial. If they still do, you should try. The shows are very high quality. I was very impressed. And it's like little bites, 10, but I don't know how well they're doing because everyone is at home. They'd rather watch on screen yeah. than on their phone, you know, because it's made for being right. on the phone. But the quality is really good. Like the way they shot the stuff, I'm like, wow, it's 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 pretty funny and pretty good. But um, so we we have we we're on like the you can follow the sweet and star chicks on Instagram. So right now, one of the executive producer, he he produced this uh, upcoming movie called Sick Girl with Nina Dobrev and Sherry Cola. So he somehow he found us and then um, he greenlighted the project and. So he's putting it in front of distributors. So I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen yet. And we've been getting a lot of invitation um, from film film festivals. So we just, I'm just gonna submit to certain ones and see what happens, and then and then let the universe just decide. You know, I'm gonna start working on season two and and just you know have some time to do the podcast with the crazy Wogan. I, I want to do some outdoor shows. I want to connect with my comedians. You, you have no idea that first episode we did at the comedy store, it was like historic for me because it, it was in the original room. We we're the only like Asian group in there, right? And then, and then it's like, I got to invite all these comedians and we talked about stuff that was going on, like the anti-Asian stuff, racism stuff, and we did fun stuff. And then we, we did some inspirational stuff too. And, and I felt like, wow, it's, maybe it's, it's different to connect in, in that way, not just doing stand up, and I and I felt the electricity that, that you were talking about, even though we were all in the with the mask. It's so funny if you watch our episode on the Comedy Store YouTube channel, they're all wearing masks. I didn't, but they're all. It's so funny, like five, six of them, because usually on their podcast on on the channel, the Comedy Store, right. people are not wearing the mask when they're right. talking. But you go look at the crazy vocation. So strange, so surreal. <laughs> But it was so amazing just to connect with them that first, the first episode to see people live again. And like, we couldn't do stand up, but we were still making each other laugh. Mm -hmm. I, really that. I think I missed that the most. And there are so many, we're living in this amazing time where there are so many venues for material to go. I mean, we've got, we've got um, internet things we've got, you know, streaming, we have, we have all these premium channels and these other things like we said, Quibi and, and, um, you know, and Hulu and Netflix and, and all the old cable channels and regular television and, and then the podcast thing. And there's so many areas 
yep. and, 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 and at the same, so there's, there, and those areas need content. Yeah. So it's a very unique time in history because it used to be that you had three channels yeah. of television and you had movie theaters and that was it. Yeah. That was your, you know, and then you, or stand up. <laughs> But yeah. you couldn't you couldn't be on all these you know there's so many of them so I'm encouraged by that because I think it encourages diversity right because um, there's room for everybody yeah what what's your ideal thing for platform for your podcast um ooh that's a good question well um, I'm content for it just to be you know just to be my pod being podcast but I'd love it if I had you know millions of listeners. <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, it's going to happen, you know, or, you know, maybe it'll turn into, um, I mean, it, it would actually be, be, um, be amazing to do like a, like a, like a live show, like to do a live talk show that, that would be, that would be incredible. I, I could be the next Dick Cavett, you know, I, oh. I, I could, I would totally, I would totally love that. Oh, that would be great. And I, and I will, and I will, uh, I will be okay with being seen and not just heard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it would be great. But you know, any time to to create connection with people, and um, and to get people talking, you know, is 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 really important because we're living in through a really divisive, you know, time full of conflict. And so the more communication we can have, and the more understanding we can have, and um, the better the world's going to be, I think. So that's part of that's part of our job, you know, as performers, as presenters. Um, is to do that is to connect people and create more understanding mm, that's really good i would be thinking about that all day <laughs> this was so good thank you so much for doing this this is just this is the best i feel i feel even more inspired than i was this morning i feel lifted oh me too i felt like it, yeah i feel like your words of wisdom there were so many golden nuggets here I feel like I, I feel like I like I want to do out go out and do shit. <laughs> yeah, you're doing it. You're doing it. Doing it. Connecting and sharing understanding right now with your podcast. So important. Thank you, Kiki. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Oh, thank you so much. And that was the phenomenal and multi-talented Kiki Young, a great friend of mine and one of the bright lights out there in the world. So glad you could join us today. Looking forward to who's going to come next week to join me on Conversations from Here. Meanwhile, wishing you well, take good care of each other, and I'll see you on the other side.